Hello, everybody. Today I have a very special guest, Mr. Mitch Ackles. Mitch is a proud CEO of Hedge Fund PR that handles the media relations for leading alternative investment funds, prominent investors, and also top service providers across the world, as well as being the elected president of the Hedge Fund Association, a global nonprofit and nonpartisan lobbying organization that unites all industry participants and promotes a greater understanding among the media, lawmakers, regulators, and the public at large. Mitch also serves as the pro bono spokesman for two other nonprofits, one called Help for Children, which raises funds for programs that work to prevent and treat child abuse, and a leg to stand on, an organization that provides free orthopedic care to children in the developing world. Mitch, thank you so much for coming on today. It's a great honor to have you here. I've been going to your events for years. I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad to hear it. Awesome. So I, I guess we'll take it from the top. Would you mind telling us what inspired you to start Hedge Fund PR in 2005? Sure, sure. And it's actually an interesting story. Um, so back in 2005, um, you know, I suddenly became an entrepreneur for the first time in my life. And obviously, every entrepreneur realizes it, whether you're launching a fund or creating a new widget or you're in Silicon Valley you're kind of scared of it. But I went in knowing that there was a need in the marketplace for it. And the reason I knew that is for years before I was in product marketing and product management. Um, I really started my, my serious part of my career working for a company called TradeStation. Um, later on, they did a joint venture with Dow Jones and I became the global marketing manager for Dow Jones TradeStation at the wow. uh, ripe old age of 24 years old. Wow, that's incredible. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was an honor. And I'll tell you, the great part of that role is my job wasn't just travel around the world and take people to dinner and get them to sign agreements and teach them how to use the product. It was interfaced with some of the smartest people on the planet. Sure. And many of those people that were the clients of Dow Jones Trade Station were hedge funds. Some of them were running funds in-house at major banks in London or in New York or in other parts of the world. And I would go and, you know, help them set up their trading system or help solve a problem, get them to be uh, quoted in marketing literature for um, Dow Jones. And it was really an honor to work on that. Um, but I started to really learn more about the needs of hedge funds. And when I decided to step down um, from my role at TradeStation, I joined another company that had a more surgical focus on funds. It was less about the software and the technology, and it became more about the funds. And that firm was called Global Partners Group out of Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And they had, uh, back in the day, they had these things called market-making desks. They had a market-making desk. They had an electronic trading platform called Equity Station, magically enough. And they had a whole division um, that selected hedge fund managers, early stage startup managers, and seeded them um, through two funds of hedge funds that were run through the organization. Uh, one of them was backed by Jack Schwager, which is a very well-known trader from Market Wizards. Okay. And uh, it was my job at that time. My fancy title became VP of Cap Intro. And as we were trying to build up, uh, obviously, this is a broker-dealer first. Uh, the goal isn't just to help these managers succeed in business and in launching their firms, but it was obviously to get their orders, to get their tr them trading with the firm, to get their business. And we needed to differentiate the offering of Global Partners Group versus Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, all of these big New York uh, prime brokerage firms that obviously had a lot of publicity, a lot of brand equity. And I sat down once with uh, my bosses and I said, you know what? 
I did PR for quite a long time in-house for Dow Jones Trade Station, worked with a lot of funds. I also know that there are some constraints about what a manager is allowed to do with the media. I know where the guardrails are, what the laws say they can do, what's advertising, what's a solicitation. I said, why don't we, if they trade through our firm, through one of the divisions, and their firm is performing well enough to be evaluated for a potential allocation, why don't I do free PR? Why don't I get them quoted in Barron's or get them on TV or help them get a speaking engagement? And that became so popular um, that the clients came pouring in. I went from helping evaluate um, managers. Uh, Obviously, I had to learn very quickly and I had some great mentorship. Uh, My boss was a a pretty well-known guy at picking managers. His name is Solomon Koenig. And Solomon taught me, you know, I learned sharp ratios and beyond um, from Salo. And he sort of redirected me and said, you know what? The PR is the best business development tool we have. Focus on that. So I did that for a couple of years. And it became so interesting and attractive that the light bulb went off and I said, you know what? Why don't I become an entrepreneur? And I spun out in 2005. My first PR clients became clients that were originally working with me at Global Partners Group. And I haven't looked back. Uh, You know, I'm very proud of Hedge Fund PR and what we've achieved. I've never once advertised my services. Everything has come through the volunteer work that I've done or through word of mouth or referrals from existing clients. Wow, that's incredible. That's amazing that you're just able to get clients that are coming to you, basically. I also approached it with a different model than a traditional PR firm. So there are maybe 15 PR firms on the planet that have a specialization in hedge funds. Mm. And they're all top drawer, filled with fantastic staff, Ivy League educations, have the same Rolodex of connections that I have but they run their businesses the way a traditional PR firm does. Uh, you know, there are layers of a staff and management, and I never wanted to do that. I wanted to be the product. And my clients that were hiring me from KPMG to multi-billion dollar firms to uh, wealthy individuals that I've worked with over the years, they would rather I be their spokesman than delegate it to a junior person. So right now, I'm still a one-man shop. I have a couple of people that ghost write for me um, that happen to be journalists. And uh, I'm able to sort of uh, keep my business uh, pretty stable and I'm proud of it because because I'm not really out here uh, looking to grow or scale hedge fund PR. I just want to do the best that I can for the clients that I have. Awesome. Okay. So can you walk us through some of the reasons why a hedge fund would need a PR firm? Sure, absolutely. So uh, as you probably know, uh, hedge funds don't always have the best reputation among the media. Uh, They also, as I mentioned earlier, have very specific rules governing uh, what is considered a solicitation. Uh, Up until the Jobs Act, which I helped lobby to make possible, uh, hedge funds were not allowed to advertise. There was no ability for them to go out and buy an ad in the Wall Street Journal or get a billboard in Times Square, not that I would recommend that. Um, But they didn't have the ability to do a lot of things that were public facing um, because there was no way um, for them to to know that the person viewing or reacting to that ad was a qualified or accredited investor. So those laws sort of prevented a lot of firms from speaking up, including speaking up and responding to false reports that were happening in the media. So the advice that I work on with managers and the reason they come to me is to help frame that message for them and to help them interface with the reporter. So I work with clients. Every engagement starts with media training. I do mock interviews with them. 
Um, I take them through the worst case scenario questions they might possibly be asked. And I also work with them to identify the things that they're allowed to say. And quite often, a seat at that table during that process is the legal counsel for that fund um, because they will advise us as to what the guardrails are as to whether they can talk about performance. Um, because there are some things which, depending upon the way the firm is structured, um, that they have to stay away from. 99% of the time, a manager can opine on the economy, on the big picture things that are going on with the Fed, um, on all the uh, daily market action. But if a reporter asks a manager directly, how well did your fund, fund perform last month? Most funds can't answer that because they're not able to answer that unless they're sure that the person that they're speaking to and the audience that's viewing it is accredited or qualified. That's amazing. I, I never knew that. Yeah, there's a specific need to help um, not only package them and help get them ready. You know, I've worked with literal rocket scientists, and sometimes the smartest people in the world aren't able to clearly explain something in English. Uh, you know, they can't remove the acronyms from their terminology. They may be incredibly talented and hugely smart, um, but they have to speak in, in a way in which anyone can understand it to, to interface with the media. The media can do a deep dive. Many uh, reporters, editors, and, and people they'll interface with are extremely well informed, uh, but you're speaking to an audience where you want that quotable quote. You want to give them a sound bite. And in order for you to do that, you do need some training. Got it. So if you passed the Jobs Act, you probably were very instrumental in Regulation A as well, which led to crowdfunding. Um, yes, so it was all sort of part of the same legislation. So the idea of um, the democratization and access to capital was at the forefront of what the Jobs Act was about and all the actions since then. Even right now, um, there's a discussion about a modification to the accredited investor threshold. HFA, um, the Hedge Fund Association, we've been lobbying for that um, because our goal is not for people that are unqualified or uninformed um, to take a risk. We just want people that are well-informed, that know what they're doing, or have the best advisors to give them the right advice to be able to access these funds, not just hedge funds, private equity funds, and other alternatives. And so that's why we became involved in uh, the JOBS Act and uh, the accredited investor threshold. And the most recent um, action that we've done with our commenting uh, was based on the fact that we think there should be an educational um, component. So it shouldn't just be net worth how much you're worth, uh, how much you earn, that determines whether you're accredited. Um, but let's say you're a professor of finance at NYU, and you've been teaching people, you've been sort of forming the talent that's going to work at the institutional investors of the future. Um, you are just as qualified to be able to take a risk and pick a manager. Yet sure. you might not meet other requirements to be able to, to uh, fulfill that. Um, and we're trying to change that. We'd like there to be a, sort of a, a qualification based on knowledge. That's really exciting. So it sounds like you created a whole new industry because with crowdfunding, you see investors now attacking new venues that they never had before, like social media. So you have some guys that are raising money on these different platforms. That's right. That's right. And I think that it's, uh, it's all at the end of the day about democratization, right? About giving people access to, to things that were typically only available to institutions or professional investors. You know, we, if you go back to, uh, you know, I'm old enough to remember, and you can tell from my hairline, um, that uh, there was a time where, you know, the street got data and then 15 minutes later, other people in the world got data. Right. And that changed. 
Um, sure. There was a time where there was an access to something called level two information, which now is a default setting in your E-Trade account. Um, but there are things that people can access on Main Street um, that years ago used to be only accessible um, by Wall Street, used to only be accessible by the big banks. And a lot of technological innovation has caused that to happen. And one additional innovation has to be access to great ideas. You know, if you're an investor and you meet the criteria and suitability for that specific type of investment, there should be um, only those requirements. And this is, again, why HFA takes an active stance working with lawmakers and regulators, uh, because we don't want them to impede job creation and capital formation. You know, with those things, capitalism is possible. Jobs are created. Uh, that new store gets financing. You know, the financial crisis in 08, uh, when banks stopped lending, it was hedge funds that were lending. Yep. You know, they have fulfilled a, a spot in the markets, um, which a lot of people don't give them credit for. And I'm happy to try and be a spokesman to bring a, a spotlight to that. So how did you even get involved with the Hedge Fund Association? What made you, uh, you know, join the organization? Sure. So remember that mentor I told you about who taught me what a Sharp and Sortino ratio was, Solomon Koenig? Yes. He was the, on the first board of directors for the Hedge Fund Association. Oh, so at the time, it was just four people, and he was one of those board members. And when I went to him and, uh, and obviously gently resigned and said, I'm going to be an entrepreneur and I'm going to spin out, and I already reserved the brand name and formed my company, I gave him a month's notice, so you know he's kind of family. Uh, but when I told him that, he goes, oh, you're going to focus only on hedge funds. He goes, I'm on this board of this organization. You know, we've done a couple of events, but we haven't done much. Um, maybe you want to do some PR work for us. Maybe we can pay you. And I said, you know what? I'll volunteer. Because if I can say I'm the PR firm for the hedge fund association, that's going to be great advertising for me. So you are very entrepreneurial. Absolutely. And then, you know, over the course of the years, I was the spokesman for the organization for a few years. Uh, the board changed its structure and expanded the number of board positions. I ran for a position on the board. I was elected to the board. I was served for two terms. Uh, then I decided that I was going to put my name in and, uh, and run to be president. And now I'm in president. Uh, I've been president. I'm in my third term. Very so nice. uh, I'm pretty proud to uh, lead an organization that has close to 50 leaders now in 16 countries. Every single one of us is an unpaid volunteer. Oh, wow. Okay. Very nice. And how is the reception like in Congress? Are you guys well received or are there some proponents that are maybe against some of your ideas or your interests? I think, uh, you know, you end up with exactly what you see on TV about Congress. You know, there are people that Wall Street is a dirty word, that everything to do with finance is bad, and that their lens view, that they're viewing hedge funds through is the few funds that have committed crimes or insider traded. And that's unfortunate. So the way that we approached Congress uh, when, and by the way, it wasn't until I joined the HFA board and our members asked us when Dodd-Frank was first proposed to become lobbyists. A few of us, a handful of us became registered lobbyists. None of us had been trained to do that. And you want to know the secret formula to how that happened? My little sister. My little sister was the youngest legislative director on Capitol Hill. So I called her up and I said, Sarah, I changed your diapers. Show me who to <laughs> talk to on the Financial Services and Senate Banking Committee. And she gave me some tips. And our approach was not we're coming in as a steamroller that you've got to do what we want. Our approach is let, you, let us teach you 
how funds create jobs. Let us explain to you with data um, that the vast majority of funds are small businesses. And, and so we were able to influence Dodd-Frank and the original proposal oh. of funds being required to register at 20 million in AUM and up went to 150 million. That was direct result of the hedge fund associations lobbying. It took multiple trips to DC. It took um, a seminar that I did in the Rayburn building uh, in Capitol Hill um, for all the legislative directors. And it took me sitting down with Barty Frank. So there was a lot of time invested in uh, sort of getting us to a point where Dodd-Frank uh, was first, uh, and it was our first success I think uh, at the hedge fund association advocating uh, for the small businesses of the industry. That's truly amazing. And when you guys are going to DC, are you talking specifically to the congressmen and women? So um, we usually start with legislative directors and then depending upon uh, what stage legislation is at and if we can get the audience, we'll talk to members of the Senate Banking Committee and the House Financial Services Committee. Um, I've also sat at the Treasury Department with White House officials and, and uh, SEC officials, um, most recently uh, dealing with the final Jobs Act. As they were writing the final words, I, I got a seat at that table. Very nice. Are you in the picture where Obama's signing it? I am not in that picture, no. Okay, I was going to look for you. Um, you know, Mitch, going back to all the PR work that you did and all the incredible work that you've done over the years, mm -hmm. what are some suggestions that you have for funds that are listening that they could use for their own day-to-day? -day? Sure. Like, so, what are some know, good ways to communicate? I, absolutely. And, and I'll tell you, um, like you, I've seen... Uh, the current environment of what we have access to in terms of being able to communicate directly with target audiences. It used to be, you know, obviously my clients still have a short list of dream places they would love to be interviewed. Bloomberg, CNBC, The Wall Street Journal, The Financial Times, and every trade industry publication that's read predominantly by their target audience, usually investors. So to reach those audiences, the same rules apply that have always um, applied in uh, PR. You have to have some special knowledge. You have to be able to articulate it clearly. And what I'm pitching to that reporter or editor has to fit their beat. It has to be in line with what type of coverage that they have. And so that's the normal track of sort of uh, earned media. And then you've got paid media, um, but you've also got social media. And I think that nowadays you can directly target an audience in a way that you couldn't before subject to the right legal disclaimers and approval from your counsel um, and your compliance officer, you can post to LinkedIn. You can opine on things that happen and in real time explain it in Twitter. So, it's interesting to bring that up. Yes, you so there's a lot of uh, social media benefit that I think people have today. Um, but just back to your original question, the key thing that I would recommend is start by looking at yourself as a brand. You have to have a website. You have to have a, a polished and institutional looking pitch book. You have to look the part. So, you know, having that template out of PowerPoint as where you put your information in, that's no longer doable. So sure. you have to invest some time and energy into branding in a way you, you couldn't before. And you were asking something else? Oh, uh, you brought up social media, which is an interesting point. Do you sure. think funds today are taking advantage of social media as they should? I mean, Not many. No, Not right? many. Such, such you see topic. the ones that are a little bit more forward-thinking, Ray Dalio, um, some others uh, that have been, Man Group is another good example, that take things like LinkedIn especially very seriously. Um, and they're sharing knowledge. 
you know, they're not talking uh, about their fund's performance. They're talking about the knowledge that they have or the good work that they're doing through philanthropy or the speaking engagements that they're, that they're doing or the great people on their team. So they're doing traditional corporate PR and outreach, um, but they're not necessarily saying invest in me. And, uh, and they're still aligned there. Uh, but I do think the bigger brands are doing it. And I think the brands that want to get bigger need to pay attention. Sure. And you bring up Dalio, who I believe is fantastic at marketing with all the interviews that he does, the recent book that he put out, or two books now, I believe. Yeah. And uh, they put out a bunch of educational videos online as well. He does. You know, uh, it was many, many years ago that Dalio posted a video to YouTube, and I think a lot of people forgot about it. Um, and I think it was called How the Economic Machine Works. Yes. And it was, he obviously invested money. It, it has high production value. And it explains, you know, how everything works from finance to housing to everything else. It has beautiful graphics. And when that first came out, I was not only impressed by it, but I started sending it to family members who were clueless about, you know, basic things about investing or about how the whole thing works. Um, because their assumption, including friends of mine, are, you know, you're the president of the hedge fund association. Where's your private jet? You know, so <laughs> sort of explains to people, uh, you know, what value Wall Street has to Main Street. And Dalio since then has only elevated, raised the game. He continues to be out there talking to people and, and informing their own decision making um, as investors, even if they're retail. And uh, I think the industry should be very proud of him for that. Got it. And how about those instances where maybe hedge funds weren't painted in the best light? So one example that comes to mind is when uh, the great Bill Ackman made the Valiant trade that kind of went sideways. And then he was on, I believe, CNBC. And CNBC's then put the great Carl Icahn on and they had a public spat. Yes. Um, in those instances, what are your suggestions? Okay, so there's no lack of type A personalities in the hedge fund industry. Sure. <laughs> um, and, you know, that being said, uh, it's perfectly fine for Bill Ackman and Carl Icahn and others at their level and everyone to have an opinion, to be passionate about it and to share it. So I don't see that as a negative. Um, they were both making their case. They happened to be doing it publicly. You know, I was sitting in the front row at the Delivering Alpha conference and they brought one of them out on stage to surprise the other one and told them to hug it out. So uh, I think that there is uh, always a little bit of drama going on behind the scenes. Yeah. And uh, I'll give you another example. Uh, so you're probably familiar with the show Showtime Billions. Sure. The majority of those characters are mashups or, or based on real people. Stephen Cohen. Based on real people. Uh, you know, or, or some combination thereof. And so you see those characters and, and certainly uh, they are elevated and, and dra drama dramatized a lot more for TV. Um, but many of those stories actually happened. Right. Not necessarily to, the, to Steve Cohen, um, but certainly many of them have happened to people. And the research that the writers do for that show is pretty phenomenal um, because I've watched a few episodes and I'm like, oh, my God, I remember that. <laughs> sure. And, and it's funny that you you brought up the Delivering Apple conference because they later asked um, Carl Lichen, are you friends with Bill Ackman now since you hugged him? He's like, oh, I actually tripped. <laughs> um, I'll tell you, all of those uh, feuds, uh, they come and go. 
And, uh, you know, it, it's an interesting thing uh, when uh, one manager will call out another in a public forum. And the media, like CNBC, is not going to argue against that. It makes great oh, entertainment. Sure. Everyone right. watched. Everyone spoke about that. Everyone emailed that clip around. Um, and so uh, the more that you can get uh, in terms of drama and criticism and controversy, uh, the more viewers and readers you're going to get, uh, as all media know. What do you think about what happened recently with Renaissance Technologies? Paul Mercer got involved with uh, um, some donations to the Trump family, and um, it wasn't well received within inside the company. And um, James Simons later asked Bob Mercer to step aside, and there was some public backlash. Sure. So um, you know, every company again, back to those Type A personalities. That firm is phenomenal. Sure. Um, and they're also hyper secretive. And I'll tell you, um, in terms of the way that they operate and the genius rocket scientists behind their success, um, I can certainly understand some hesitation of doing things that are public facing, like endorsing a candidate or being especially aggressive in terms of trying to influence an outcome. Um, but anybody that has earned their money and wants to invest in a candidate and have influence in it and they're following the rules, they should be allowed to do it. Uh, you know, then they need to obviously be clear as to what the policies are at a renaissance or at any other firm that's out there about, you know, what public connection uh, they are able to say about the firm and their decision making. Right. You know, but Mercer as an individual has the right to do what anything an individual would have to do. Um, obviously, he has a, a lot more capability in terms of money to be able to have a lot greater influence. Um, but again, this is up to the company, up to that firm, and obviously how the partners uh, choose to work together. Got it. And what are your thoughts around the current industry of hedge funds, being that in the past decade, they haven't really been doing too well. So what are your thoughts on the future? So, you know, people often expect that I, as the president of the Hedge Fund Association or someone that runs a PR firm called Hedge Fund PR, will always paint the rosy picture and use the gift wrapping. Uh, most hedge funds underperform. Most hedge funds um, are not delivering alpha. That's just a fact. Um, right. You don't need to be a genius to be able to look at performance reports and look at the industry data and see that there are bright spots. Um, you know, an issue I've always had, and, and this is not uh, anything against the data providers, um, but when you look at the way indices are, you know, and reporters are sort of saying, all long short did this horribly this month. Well, they're lumping a bunch of funds together that might fit that strategy bucket, um, but they might be doing vastly different things. One might be an investor, one might be a trader, one might be quantitative. Um, sure. And so you have to look at every investment, hedge funds included, on a case-by-case -case individual basis. And there are several bright spots out there um, that are able to consistently raise capital from their investors and get to a point where they can succeed. And, uh, and I think that we will continue to see um, hedge funds grow. Uh, every single year, the media, and, uh, and this is Bloomberg and the Wall Street Journal and CNBC and all of the major financial media, trot out a series of stories um, that basically indicate hedge funds are about to die out. Hasn't happened. Um, you know, they will just be reinvented and they will do different things. And now we have a much wider umbrella. You know, hedge funds and alternatives and private equity, there are some organizations that are doing both. 
there's some diversification in their strategies and types of funds. And funds don't just need one structure um, sort of cherry-picking and, and specifically tuned towards every investor. They can do separately managed account and work specifically for that one allocator wants them right. to do. So I do think the innovation will continue. I do think there will still be talent attracted to the industry. But I do think that any manager, anybody that's interested in launching a fund needs to truly have something special. You can't just be one of many. You have to be a standalone, have something unique. Uh, quite often nowadays, we see that something unique being a quantitative algorithm, uh, be some unique access to data or unique interpretation and execution on what that data tells you. And so if you continue to innovate in terms of your own strategy, uh, you will survive this industry. But there's another thing that causes funds to shut down, and I think this is vastly important. Hedge funds are businesses. So there are quite a few fund managers uh, that I met that went to Yale and worked at Goldman, uh, were seated with hundreds of millions of dollars, and then mo the moment they had their fantastic office and their fantastic staff, they looked around and realized no one's putting coffee in the break room. It's running a business too. There's an operational component. You have to deal with staffing issues and reporting and all of the HR requirements and, and state and local and federal and all sorts of reporting requirements. So you can't do that and run the portfolio. So you need to surround yourself with great staffing on the operations side. And if you get the operations part right, right and you get the portfolio management part right, you can grow. Um, and the other thing that has at least helped alleviate that and made it possible for some of the smaller funds to really launch and succeed is now it's not a bad thing to outsource part of those tasks. Hmm. So there are outsourced people that deal with operations now and entire organizations wrapped around that. And, uh, and there's even outsourced, outsourced general counsel. So there's lots of things uh, and uh, capabilities and talent that fund managers, even early stage managers, can access through an outsourced model, uh, which right. lowers the cost of doing business and helps them focus on uh, the real work at hand. Absolutely true. So just being a great investor is not enough. You need someone there to handle operations and business development. Right, and it kind can't of, just the PM can't do it all. Sure. You kind of need your Anthony Scaramucci with you. You do, you do. Anthony is a great example. You know, Anthony started uh, Skybridge, uh, started, he, he brought in other executive senior leaders, uh, cherry-picked and selected the right talent to fit the various different roles and continue to organically grow based on that. And most right. funds do that. And, and I think that those funds that take that part seriously um, are able to succeed. You know, it's not just a couple of people in a Bloomberg terminal anymore. There has to be a lot more infrastructure uh, surrounding a manager. And that also goes back to the idea of now that you've got all of this great stuff, how do you actually get more money to manage? And that right. brings me back to what I said earlier about having a website, having a, you know, institutional quality marketing materials uh, and being very uh, organized and, and sort of approach the way that you are dealing with your record keeping and your marketing in sort of a systematic way uh, and, and being able to sort of execute on that. So you don't just need the great money management and the great operations, you need the great marketing. And uh, you can either outsource some of that, um, but many firms bring that in-house. You know, it's funny that we're speaking about this, and before we touched on Renaissance Technologies, last night I was with Gregory Zuckerman, who wrote the book. Um, I know, Greg. Oh, you do? Excellent. Absolutely. He, he just wrote the book on Jane Simons and Renaissance. 
and he was telling me James was not necessarily the the like the biggest investor within the fund. He was more so the operator, where he brought all these smart people together and gave them the resources that they need for them to properly execute. And he's the genius behind that from an operations business development standpoint, which I never knew before. I thought he was the one sitting behind the computer. Absolutely. And, and you know, um, those are those types of, of his generation of funds, um, things were entirely different than they are now. Um, so, you know, he has learned probably he's gotten up by falling down. And yeah. so, you know, someone, a boss of mine uh, many, many moons ago uh, gave me some great advice. And she was spectacular. Her name was Jeanette. And at Trade Station, I reported to her. And uh, one, I'm not sure what I did but I thought I was going to be fired for whatever it was. And she called me into her office one day. I think I had just been in Europe for three months, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, what did I expense? And she <laughs> sat me down, and um, she said, you know, whatever that mistake was, we discussed it. And she goes, you're going to make mistakes. Make new ones next time. Hmm. And I have never, ever forgotten that advice. And I think that advice fits for anybody in almost anything. And if you are a fund manager, uh, there are things that you can learn by reading Greg Zuckerman's book and by reading other books that are out there and Ray Dalio's book and attending events and, and sort of finding a mentor in the industry um, because maybe you can find that new mistake to make and not make those others or you can avoid them altogether. And right. so uh, half of the battle, I think, is a maturity level that one builds as one learns. Um, but I do think funds thrive a lot more uh, when they uh, learn from their peers and their mentors uh, and just do their research. Absolutely true. Surrounding yourself with the right people. And uh, to my credit, I found someone, my partner, uh, since a guy who's 100 times smarter than I am, and he's an excellent investor. So right. I got very fortunate on that end. That's what we all need to do in life, you know, whether you're in the hedge fund business or you're in anything. Um, if you find someone that's willing to take the time to sort of show you the ropes and answer your questions, it doesn't mean that their way is the best way. Um, don't you know, there are things that uh, people can innovate with now um, that others might say, oh, my God, social media. I would never do that. Mm -hmm. Um, yet I'm doing things on LinkedIn that no one has ever done for the Hedge Fund Association. I'm posting memes. I know, um, and, and I'll tell you, that's not something that we would have ever considered doing years ago. But those are the things that are getting people to react a lot more. We're getting attendees a lot more. We're getting people to react and respond to the things that I'm posting based on that funny little thing that I posted that was relevant to what I was talking about. And I think you have to be creative in 21st century, but you can also um, make sure that you don't make a mistake uh, that someone else has made in the past. Very nice. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just have one last question um, mm -hmm. in regards to the current state of the industry. What are your thoughts around the November elections. Do you think whoever sitting in office will have a major effect? What do you think would happen if, say, uh, Bernie Sanders or Joe Biden uh, takes over? Maybe sure. not necessarily Joe, but somebody that's more um, socialist Democrat, if you will, as Bernie proclaims he is. Mm -hmm. Where do you think the effects are? So I think that um, you know the data always shows you what mar how markets react depending upon the administration and what their concerns are. So we tend to see less regulation during Republican administrations than during Democratic um, administrations. We tend to see more spending 
under Republican administrations than we do under Democratic administrations. And I think that um, you can't cookie cutter and say, oh, the industry wants this candidate or wants that candidate. I think they just want a level playing field. They want to be treated fairly. And they also want to make sure that the rules that are put in place are implemented aren't stifling their creativity and their ability to do business and serve their clients. So I, I do think that the, um, uh, the calls that I've had of late, they're not as excited about Bernie. Let's put it that way. Sure. Got it. Okay. And I want to let our audience know, for those that are based here in New York, you're going to have a major event on March 18th yes. titled The Current State of the Seating Market. And I know from firsthand going to these events, I met some of the brightest people in the industry, some of the greatest investors. So I highly recommend to whoever can do it to absolutely go and also join. Thank you. Um, and Mitch, if any of our guests want to get in touch with you, especially ones that are investors and manage a fund, how could they get in contact with you either in regards to public relations or lobbying? So I'm pretty easy to find. Uh, you know, in one Google search, you can probably get my phone number. Um, but the easiest way is to email me at mitchmitch at hedgefundpr.net. Um, you can also visit hedgefundpr.net. Uh, but the website I would love for, or the two or three websites I would love for uh, your viewers to reach is I like to stand on ALTSO.org, also.org, uh, which is again one of the charities I represent. They provide prosthetic limbs to children in underdeveloped parts of the world, providing mobili mobility, um, which is obviously something mo most of us don't have to deal with. We have our legs, we have our arms, um, and they're a fantastic nonprofit charity, charitable organizations I, I get to represent. The other, and they're at also.org. The other one is Help for Children. They prevent and treat child abuse around the world. Again, predominantly supported by the hedge fund and alternative investment community. Um, and they're at hfc.org. And my own company is uh, hedgefundpr.net. And then I'll leave you with the hedge fund association, hedgefundassoc.org. And you can also Google hedge fund association or Google Mitch Hackles and you'll find us. Awesome. Thank you so much, Mitch, I want to sincerely thank you for taking time to speak with us here today. I really appreciate it, and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much.